This is a content warning. This episode of the podcast deals with life and death. As I know that many of you listen with your children, I just wanted to let you know that you might want to skip this episode with your kids. Welcome to episode 90 of the Juicebox Podcast. This episode of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by Omnipod, the world's only tubeless insulin pump. And listen, I have a new link for you to go to if you want to try a free demo pod. Go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox to learn more. Please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making a change to your medical plan. And hey, last time, heads up. It's a serious, serious episode. Deals with life and death. If you're listening with your kids, it's your last chance to turn back. I'm Michelle Altswager. Um, I've been involved in uh, the world of diabetes since my son Jesse was diagnosed at the age of three on March 3rd of 2000. Um, I became a director of JDRS um, in those early years. Uh, I helped begin um, some ski snowboard camps called Riding on Insulin, um, which my son participated in. And um, I kind of stepped away from diabetes for a few years. Um, my son was kind of sick of talking about diabetes. So I took a job at a women's magazine and um, just kind of volunteered my time in the world of diabetes. Um, and then on February 3rd, 2010, my 13-year-old son, Jesse, passed away from his type 1 diabetes. Um, and I became an advocate uh, more so for people who also have lost their children to type 1 diabetes throughout, um, actually all over the world. I mentor about 100 families um, through a private Facebook group, um, getting them connected to each other so that they have the support uh, that they need. That's really amazing. Oh, okay. So how old was Jesse when he was diagnosed? So Jesse was three years old when he was diagnosed. What, what was the presentation? Was it average, normal? It was, yeah, it was every typical, you know, everything. He was... So little skinny three-year-old boy all of a sudden started wetting the bed again. And I was kind of flustered about it because we had a water container in our refrigerator and I caught him getting up in the middle of the night, getting himself water. I thought he was just fascinated with the fact that there was a spigot that he could mess around with, but it turns out she was just really super thirsty. Right. Um, and it was a Friday afternoon and I was ignoring the warning signs. I didn't want it to be diabetes. Um, I grew up with five aunts and uncles with type one diabetes, my grandma raised five. And back in the day when insulin, you know, came in a glass syringe and it was even before urine test strips, I was around people who use test tubes to check their urine right. um, for, for all of that. So we, you know, the typical signs took them to the emergency room. It was one finger poke. Simply, I was very fortunate that there was no misdiagnosis and they just simply said he has diabetes. And so you, you had a, a a fair feeling from your, your past, your history and your family that that's what was going on. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely wanted to be in denial. Um, and, but you know what, there was also that point where, you know, I'm driving to the hospital and I'm, you know, saying out loud to whomever the universe, you know, please don't let it be diabetes. And then at the time I was thinking, well, wait a minute, I hope it is diabetes. Don't, don't let it be something like leukemia that, that could possibly take his life. Right. Um, never occurred to me that it could possibly take his life. Okay, so three years old, um, gosh, that's a while ago now. Um, yeah. Injections, like like just there's no glucose monitors or stuff like that, right, at that moment? Uh, no, there were meters when in 2000. So he had meters. Um, he actually, at the age of five, went on uh, an insulin pump. Okay. He was one of the first kids in our area to go on it because I fought with the endocrinologist to make that happen. Um, and actually, um, you know, if you flash forward to 2010, he actually did have a continuous glucose monitor. Um, he actually didn't wear it very often. Um, it was at a time where they were still a little bit sickle and, um, he just said he didn't want to feel like the front of an airplane, you know, dashboard. Mm -hmm. He felt like there were too many devices hanging off of him at the time. So was he, was he wearing it at the time of his passing? 
Uh, no, he was wearing his pump. He was wearing a pump. Okay. So, okay. So I think we should just dive right in because like I told you before we started recording, it's, I always think to talk to you because it always becomes my concern that, you know, inevitably someone passes away and I don't want to say how frequently it happens because uh, I don't know. It, it feels like at least once a year you hear about someone um, that, that's lost their life who's had type 1 diabetes and living with it. And then it's always my fear that when people see that, they, that they become more cautious about their own care, but more, maybe in the wrong way. Maybe in, in the way where they're like, oh, I'll, I'd be happier to accept the high blood sugar because... Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Maybe yeah. they kind of incorrectly think that the way somebody's passed is just because their blood sugar has gotten very low. So, yeah, your your podcast is timely because this has been a, a topic that there's many of us um, that have been talking about this topic, the high blood sugars, right? Yeah. Um, uh, Derek Rapp, who is the uh, JDRS CEO, he and I have been uh, conversing about that exact topic. And I've been talking with Beyond Type 1 about that topic um, because I think it's, it's phenomenal right now. Um, I'll back up just a little bit. When Jesse, when Jesse died um, back in 2010, nobody was really talking about death due to type 1 diabetes, right? We we're all kind of scared. We didn't want to talk about it. And let's face it, endocrinologists didn't really tell us that diabetes was something you could die from. Right. So, you know, it was something we said, you know, just take good care of yourself. You'll live a long, happy life, right? So when he died, um, because I had international um, attention from a documentary I had done, um, people knew me. And so they thought, oh, my gosh, if this can happen to this mom, it can happen to any of us. And so it puts everyone in panic. And so mm-hmm. I think every time you hear of a death and, you know, you said once a year, um, I hear from someone at least once a week that has lost a child to type one, at least once a week. Some become more um, public than others because some people just, you know, when they, when they pass away, they, their way of dealing with it is to kind of um, go inside. They're, they're not going to be proactive and they just need to, they just, that's how they're going to grieve. Right. Um, so what's happened is, Everyone talks about dead in bed, right? Which is, I'm so afraid my child is going to have a low and he's not going to wake up in the morning, which is rightfully so. I get it. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a fear to have. That's why CGMs are so amazing and alert dogs. But what people don't think about and they're not talking about is the high blood sugars. Um, the one thing I've learned through all of this is I call it the dangerous cocktail. The dangerous cocktail Everyone's got their eye on those low blood sugars in the middle of the night. They're waking up in the night. But I don't see parents panicking as much when their kids are at a 500 or their meters are just reading HI. Um, They're not testing for ketone. I I know a lot of families don't even own keto strips. Um, I know a lot of adults with type 1 that I work with in our endurance community don't carry keto strips, um, which they don't realize the dangerous cocktail is this. This is what I've learned from the depths is if you have a high A1C, and then you tack on and you add that you have a high blood sugar right now and you have large ketones, that is a recipe for disaster. So like, for instance, if you have a teenager who's currently an A1C of 12%, their body, and I'm no medical expert, right? I'm just, this is my opinion and, and what I've seen. Of course. Is there, if their blood sugars are high and they have a high A1C and those large ketones and they are in DKA, and as moms and dads, we're not as afraid of those high blood sugars. And we also have a fear of taking our kids to the ER because we've learned over the years that we feel like we know more than the residents that are there, right? I mean, I, I bet you there's 100 people that will listen to this podcast and have a memory of taking their kid to an ER and the resident starts to load up insulin drip instead of a glucose drip, right? And you're like, whoa, what are you doing, <laughs> Right. So we have this we have this doctor mom and doctor dad syndrome where we we think we can take better care of them at home than at the hospital and then by the time they get to the hospital it's too late. Yeah, and and that makes no, it yeah. makes a ton of sense, and I think it feeds right into you know everything that you've said so far, plus everything that I see usually. I'm, hold on, I have to tell Arden to drink a half of a juice. I'm just texting her. And, <laughs> That's and fair. We're good. Okay, and so. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, so I think that what what you see here is that first of all, like you said, when you start off, I remember getting, you know, somebody handed me glucagon, and I was like, "What's this?" And they're like, "Oh, you know, it's in case they get really low, it's dangerous. You'll never use it. Don't worry about it." And so then that's the overall feeling, like, "Oh, she has type one diabetes. It's horrible. It's going to be with her forever." But even the emergency thing, I don't even have to understand that well because it's never going to happen. And then, you know, as you're acclimating yourself to trying to figure out how the insulin works, the the message uh, from medical a lot is better high than low. And then yeah. you're and then the, the 
you're sort of the human part of you takes over, right? Well, they said 150 to 200 was okay, but it's only 210, so that's fine, right? And then your body, you start to accept it. Well, 250, I mean, that sucks, but it's not terrible. I can get it down, and before you know it, 180, 200 is your norm, you live there, and then when you see a 320, suddenly it doesn't seem that horrible anymore, even though your blood sugar is now at 320, three times what it should be. And, and, and there's not that panic. You do see it all the time. Like people say, well, I want to get them, I want to get their blood sugar high overnight so I can sleep. I don't even understand that. I'm up as much when my daughter's blood sugar is high as when it's low, maybe more honestly when it's high, because it's more difficult to deal with. It takes longer to, to adjust and fix. Um, and a lot of a lot of parents aren't actually informed either, though, that, you know, when their kids, their ch- a child can have 150 blood sugar, which, you know, fine, it's in, it's in a range. But if they're if they're sporting any kind of ketones and they're not getting it, like you can be 150 and say, oh, if I just don't dose insulin, they'll be fine. Their body constantly needs that insulin. You constantly need to be feeding that system. So you can be in danger at 150 if you have large ketones. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you're not. Yeah, it's my daughter's sick right now. She's why she's home from school. She has a head cold. She doesn't have a fever. She doesn't have the flu. She just has a head cold. And for the last two days, her blood sugar has been difficult. It sticks at 200. I have to give her enough insulin to to knock a horse over to get it to move down overnight at three o'clock. She's growing on top of it. So overnight, I get three o'clock in the morning the night before it just it tried so hard to go up. And I, I felt like I was I was putting insulin in with a funnel instead of with a, a cannula, you yeah. know, and, and, <laughs> yeah. and then last night I just didn't wake up. The thing beeped and beeped and beeped. And at 6am I opened my eyes. The first thing I heard was it beeping. And I thought, oh, and I looked at the graph and sure enough at three o'clock, she went from like 120, like straight up. And I went in, I tested her. She was 310. She had been 310 for three hours, you know, for the most part. Yeah. I bolused so much insulin. I mean, just two and three times what moving her 200 points should take. And I still had to bolus again and again. And by the time she was down to 80, it took me, I'm going to say the better part of four hours. And I gave her, you know, so much more insulin than I would have in a normal situation because very likely, and I didn't test her, but very likely she had ketones. Plus, it's more difficult to affect the high blood sugar. You know, once your blood sugar is high, it takes more insulin normally, those sorts of things. And then I think that's how people get caught in a loop. They see a 250 and they go, oh, well, you know, it should be this much insulin. And then they end up using half as much as it takes. And then two hours later, they go, oh, my God, it's still 220. And they try it again and again. And before you know it, it's time to eat. And then it just, you get caught in this horrible cycle. It is very hard on your body. And so, right. you know, and it's, it's not going to kill you this second, but it doesn't mean it doesn't have a hard effect on you. And I think that's hard for people to hear that they're, that they're, they or a child has a disease that has two sides of a spectrum and both sides of it are equally dangerous. Just the timing of them is dangerous. Like, do you want to, do you want to have something horrible happen to you right now? Do you want to have something horrible happen to you 10 years from now? Do you want to have something horrible happen to you three months from now? And the, and the, what I think what happens is that becomes so overwhelming for some people that they just panic and pick a side and they give up in some way. And and I'm always trying to tell people that it's not as crazy as it sounds. If you're struggling with it, it is much simpler to keep a blood sugar more around a hundred than it is to keep it higher. And, and then it just takes practice and a little bit of knowledge. And a lot of times that is knowledge you don't get at the doctor, which is why community ends up being so important sometimes. Um, but you know, that's why I asked you on. I just, I just wanted people to hear from somebody who had lived through it and was still talking about it that, you know, that. So, I mean, I guess, can we go backwards a little bit? And I don't know how much of this you talk about, but do you know the, the steps that happened that, that led to yeah, Jess, Jesse's demise? So it's, inter- it's interesting. Um, so I'll, I'll give you my perspective on this. So ever since that happened and every time there's a death in the DOC, um, WD's online community, um, you know, there's, there's different sides that happen. Um, there's times where I feel it's really awesome. Like I'm so happy people talk about this now, because even if we save one life, it's like one parent decides to get up an extra time in the night or one parent, um, knows the warning signs. Like as long as we're talking about, it, I think it's really good. Then there's this other side where I like to protect the parent, um, 
from seeing things. So let, let me give you an example, Scott, yeah, and I'll, I'll go back to okay. your actual question. So um, there was a recent death. Um, uh, the young lady's name was Alex, and it blew up all over Facebook, and it's so well-intentioned. And the people who are posting it um, mean well, mm-hmm. right? Yes. But what I saw and made me sad, and a lot of the parents in the community that nobody wants to belong to, right, this um, lost community, we respect the parents' privacy. So what happens is someone posts that photo, like, I would rather see it say there was another loss in the community, um, you know, prayers, sadness, all of that. That's fine. But what happens is the threads blow up. And what you see is, well, what happened? What was the parent doing? And then you, you see hateful things like clearly the mom didn't know what she was doing. Um, or how did that girl not know for 48 hours she was in DKA? Such a, that, that could have been prevented. Right. That, what I see in that is there is a mom out there who's suffering. She's going to suffer for the rest of her life. She lost a child. And these people are gossiping. It just comes off as gossip because those, those parents, as much as they want to know what happened, Scott, you already know the answer. We know people die from extreme highs and extreme lows. And all you have to do is keep doing what you're doing, getting up in the night, checking. What happened to Jesse is what I will tell you to everybody is I don't go through the steps of what happened that day mm-hmm. because... When I'm asked to do that, you're actually asking me to relive my worst nightmare, right? So there's, there's a, I call it the slideshow in my head. So I have to shut off the slideshow because I can't relive that memory. Uh, so what I do is I tell you simply this, you're already doing what you should be doing. It's highs and lows. Um, the coroner actually told us he's baffled and he labeled it as DKA. And I can second guess it. I could read the coroner's report. Nothing is going to bring him back and nothing is going to save you know, Aiden or anybody, right? And it, it, you just have to keep, just keep trudging. And, and another thing I tell people a lot is you can spend so much time focused on the diabetes and asking me questions about exactly what happened. And you miss that your child, you know, gets hit by a bus walking across the street or riding his bike or riding an ATV or, you know, he gets cancer. So, so that's kind of how I always handle that question is there's no, there's no pinpoint. There's nothing that's going to um, save your child by learning exactly what happened. I mean, in all the families that I've encountered, the hundred families that have found me and found um, our private Facebook page where they can grieve and scream or share good details or happy days is the college age kids. There is something there to be said that when you're sending your kids off to college, um, the biggest thing I see is death due to DKA. Um, they go out drinking with their buddies or they simply just don't tell their roommates they even have diabetes or how to give them a glucagon or how to, um, if I'm acting weird, you know, give me, give me a juice box. This is what, these are the steps you need to take. What happens is maybe they went out drinking and they're acting a little weird and people just put them to bed thinking that they're just drunk, right? And then they don't wake up. There is a very big preventive measure you can take in that situation. Well, I would say that and I, I asked you that question hoping you would answer it the way you did and more just to kind of spur on this part of the conversation, I guess. So when you see people in the community or online or wherever it ends up being and they start wanting to mine out the information, how did this happen? What are the steps? I always think they just want to know what happened because they are just hoping that the story is opposite of what they do. You know what yep. I mean? Like, like they just want to hear that someone did something wrong or someone did something, you know, in their eyes that's not correct or different than they do so that they can sit back comfortably and say, oh, okay, good. I'm not doing it the way they did it, so my kid's going to be okay. And and it's just, it's just to me, it's, I don't even know how to put it really, it's just a wild, like, flailing into the world. Like, you know, just please let this not be my story. And I need to yep. hear, I need to hear your story. So I hear, so I find out it's not mine. And, and in the end that they don't see how horrible it comes off is, is fascinating. And I'm not saying you don't have those thoughts. I mean, you, you spoke about the, the little girl or the, the girl who, who passed recently. And I try very hard not to pay attention to just any of that. I don't think it's any of my business. I don't pay attention. And I heard one person say that, you know, the kid had um, it was in DK for you know days, and it did pop into my head like God, didn't they test? Didn't they know? But at the same time, then my next thought is, 
is very simply this, and I mean this completely, completely honestly. It's a really terrible disease to live with. The factors that affect you come from so many different directions and so fast, and everyone's understanding of it is different. To blame anyone for anything that happens with type 1 diabetes and the use of man-made insulin and not having a pancreas that works is just flatly not, it's not human. You, you, you can't blame somebody for that. It's no different than blaming somebody for, you know, being in a car accident or, you know, falling off of a bridge or I don't know what the hell, like yeah. anything. You know what I mean? Like you, there's some things in the world that just happen to you. You can't be blamed for them. And it's, it's wrong to try, I think. So... Well, and the, and, and the reality is this, there is not a parent out there who's lost a child isn't already dealing with blame on their own, right? So you, there's, there's so much coulda, woulda, shoulda, no matter how it happened, where it happened, when it happened. If I spent all my time blaming myself or my ex-husband, I, I wouldn't live day to day. And like people don't understand sometimes that for the first few years, and, and sometimes, I mean, I have people that I've been part of this group for seven years. We've, we've kind of gone through this together. Um, they never kind of escape the constant pain and suffering of it. They just, that's, that's where their grief took them. Um, it's, it's interesting because we're talking about this because someone shared an article with me today about grief and loss of a child and like seven things I've learned from, from loss of my child. So well written. And it's, it, and like step number seven just really resonated with me is, um, that because of the deepest pain that we have felt, we really experience joy more than the average person. And I don't know if you can completely understand that, but like, because we know the bottom of bottom, like when we see joy, it, it's such, such a strong emotion. And the same with grief, like any kind of loss we feel now, like um, say someone goes through a breakup, I call it, how do I explain it? It's like, a, it's like you already have a sunburn and then the sun's shining and burning it worse right? So everything you feel painful is twice as painful and everything like joy really stands out. Um, and I say that because like some people can see me on the, the diabetes online community. I, I write a lot for beyond type one. I, I, you know, I've written for D life and, um, I share my joy a lot and I, you know, I am living a great life. I, tomorrow I leave for Breckenridge, Colorado and I get to ski with, you know, 25 type one, ski coaches and help train them and, and then run a camp on Saturday up there for kids with type one diabetes. I'm living a really good life. And I've decided when I say things like people ask me, how are you? And I can say, I've never been happier. It used to really pain me to say that because I would always think, what is that person thinking in the back of their mind? By God, she lost her child. How can she say she's happy? Well, because I have to move forward. I have to continue living. I can't live in doom and gloom every minute, but don't for one second think that a parent who's lost a child um, isn't feeling this underlying constant hole in their life. They're just, they're just learning to live with, just like much like you learn to live with, you know, your child's diagnosed, diagnosis, right? Well, I was going to so say, yeah, I was, totally say of your life. Yeah, yeah. I was just totally going to say, I, it's, I mean, I'm prefacing it needlessly because I don't feel like you need me to, but it, it obviously it obviously doesn't compare, but at the same time, I know what you mean about the joy thing. Like I always tell people, like now that my daughter lives with this chronic illness that does envelop a lot of our time, it does loom over top of your head. Is she okay now? Will she be okay later? How is this going to affect all these things? That when something good happens, you really do feel it very purely. And at the same time, when something that you used to think of as being bad happens, you can laugh it off almost sometimes. Like sometimes yeah, I'm just like, exactly. that's not important. Is that person upset about that? You know, you know, like they totally should get up with me tonight at 2.30 and watch Arden try to eat a banana in her sleep. Like, like I think that would definitely change their mind about what bad means. But at the same time, I heard what you were saying. I guess that when you see something bad that it, it brings all of your emotions to the top more because I can't imagine how strong you are to be able to get to the point where you can say, this is the happiest I've ever been because being someone who has not nearly gone through what you've gone through, I'm having a hard time imagining being able to get past the idea that I'm allowed to be happy after and, and that I should be, or that I'm not hurting something and that you figured that out, that path, that's, magnificent. I'm so glad you're sharing it with other people because it's not something anyone can imagine, obviously, unless, unless it's happening. Well, the only way you can, the only way you get there is with support. You remember back when I used to read the ads and I didn't just talk off the top of my head. I'm going to do one again for fun. Old home week kind of thing. 
you want to do what you want without worry, including all those fun activities. And Omnipod can help. You get continuous insulin delivery, and it's waterproof, so you don't have to discontinue for daily activities. Even better, it's totally discreet, with no tubing to tangle or to dictate what you wear. That's pretty great. The best way to understand Omnipod is to try it for yourself. So you can get a free demo kit, including a sample non-functioning pod by going to www.myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. And you can see what you think. There's absolutely no obligation. And you heard that link, didn't you? I got my very own link for the ads. Isn't that cool? Myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. Get out of here. Big time and now, huh? That's right. All right, listen, there's still a lot of time left on the, the, the music. I guess I should say something else. Hmm, what do I want to say? I really should plan these things in advance. <sighs> Music's fun, huh? Hey, Sydney, thanks for writing this music for the podcast. It's really cool. You know, a little girl wrote this music and performed it. Isn't that cool? You can do anything, really. Speaking of being able to do anything, here I go, I found it. Omnipod, the world's only tubeless insulin pump. You totally have to do it. You can do anything with it on. Absolutely anything. Think of something that you think you can't do with an insulin pump on. Nope, nope, you can do that. How about that? You can do anything with my Omnipod. Oh, I even said the thing there like it's my Omnipod, but it's not. But the link is. Myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. All right, let's get back to Michelle and let her talk about support and community. And, uh, you know, I was just very fortunate that the, the people I chose to surround myself with, you know, I, I have to tell you, like, there's this very weird thing that happens at loss. Um, you and I and I have written about it. But when you when I lost my son, I also I was very involved in the diabetes world. You know, I'd done a documentary. I had, you know, given to you know, done every JDRS ride every year, mm-hmm. um, all over the country. And, and all of a sudden I'm like, who's going to want to be around the person who lost their kid to diabetes? If your kid, if, you know, if you, you as the parent who have a, a healthy type one living at home, you're going to want to spend any time with the mom who lost a child. I really panicked. I was going to lose this entire community. And I was very blessed and fortunate that my, my people rallied around me and, you know, and it's, you know, I talk about you know, I'm very blunt. I talk about, you know, the loss of Jesse and, and moving forward and what I continue to do for the community. But I just, I'm, I, I guess I just feel very lucky that I was, you know, allowed to stay here. Um, I, of course, I use my time wisely in that, you know, when I'm at a riding on insulin station over camp and I'm standing talking to a 10 year old kid, you know, and he says, how old was your son when he was diagnosed? I just say three. And yeah, I, he asks questions. I would never talk to, you know, those kids, you know, and tell them I lost my son because it's not an appropriate. He was about your age when he passed. Yeah. Yeah. There's, 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 there's no value in that. No value. Yeah, exactly. And, but it is really cool that, that people did that because I, I tried to imagine, do people struggle with how to speak to you when they know? I can imagine they would, right? Sure. Um, I mean, the worst is when someone doesn't know. I mean, now it's been seven years, so it hasn't been as bad um, because most of the people I know know. But, you know, in the in the early first couple of years, it's just so horrible is, you know, you run into an old neighbor and they're like, gosh, how's Jesse? And you're like, well, you know, yeah, where do you and even start? And you, what, what, what's hard for those families and myself included is it forces you they're grieving for the first time and you're forced to re-grieve something you've. You've gotten, you're, you're at, you're at step 29 and they're at step one. Um, and you know, so you see their pain and you see their grief. Right. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't even reach out. Like if a, if a family is lost, um, I don't reach out to them. I kind of wait for them to find me, um, let them come to me when they're ready. And some are never ready. Some just decide, you know, it's just not their thing, um, to grieve with others. Um, they just, they just don't find a need for it, but, um, it's a solid group that helps each other. And I'm really proud that a lot have gotten involved. Um, and I mean, I don't know if you know, but, but like beyond type one is really involved in the whole DKA, um, movement to get, um, information to every pediatrician in the U S yeah. um, warning signs. And while that's not going to save a Jesse, it is going to save kids. And it's going to save lives. And I'm like, I'm just so proud of the people at Beyond Type 1 that they took 
a sensitive topic that I know that they've been contacted by others in, in the online community or who are saying you're scaring people with this topic. And, you know, I think that their opinion, and I can't really speak for them, but just from conversations I've had with them is they're like me. They don't care if it, if it saves one kid. It's worth talking about. Yeah, I interviewed Mary recently, and we were talking about all, all <laughs> these do? different ideas. And and I can't see, I can't agree with that more. And at the same time, like you're scaring people. The idea that you're scaring people by bringing that up, I I that that starts to scramble my head because here's what I'm scared by. I'm scared by all the people I see online who say things like, hey, my kid's blood sugar has been 300 for three hours. Should I correct again? Or I don't, you know, do you think it needs more insulin? Like, and, and I'm not scared because they don't know. I'm scared because someone hasn't explained it to them because their doctor didn't tell them because they got some sort of information that led them to that thought. And, and you, can, you can shine a light on things like DKA, you know, uh, awareness and try to pretend that that's scary, but that's not the scary thing that's going on in your community. What's going on in your community, I think simply put, is that most people don't understand fundamentally how insulin works and how to use it. I really think that's the, the most scary thing because at some point, yeah. then, and I know most scary is not English, I'm pretty sure, um, <laughs> but, but most very scariest is what I'm saying, is, it, is that, is that no, none of us really get taught how to use insulin and how it works. And then- you know, I- I, I have a, I have a really interesting story, like just to share quickly on that is, um, so one of our elite coaches, um, and I'll use her name cause she won't care. Lauren, um, Lauren and I have gotten very close over the last few years cause she also did the Ironman Wisconsin, um, with our group this last year and doing it again. So we've gotten to be friends and she's, she stayed at my home and she was over in Austria. She lives over there quite a bit of the year. Um, cause she trains with a ski team over there and, I follow her on her Dexcom share. Uh, there's a few people that I follow um, just because they look at me as someone that's kind of an outsider, not a parent. You know, I- I'm not going to chastise them, but I'm kind of a safety net for Lauren okay. when she travels. That's cool. And so she's seven hours ahead of me and she is having um, roller coaster blood sugars. And I'm talking up to high, down to low, up to high, down to low. And I mean, HI and LOW. Mm-hmm. And so we're in constant contact and, 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 the, and she's just staying in a, in a place with a 20 year old kid who has no understanding of type one diabetes. Um, she ends up having to administer her own glucagon. Um, so I just kept her on the phone for a couple hours and we just hung out <laughs> while I worked and I, and I kept her safe and just watching her graph and, and trying to help her. I just finally said, you know what, Lauren, I know you're not going to want to hear this you're scaring me. Your numbers are scaring me. The fact that you have large ketones is scaring me. You need to be in a hospital. And she said, but I'm in Austria. I'm afraid of the language barrier. I'm afraid they're not going to know what to do. And I said, you need to be where the the right equipment is and, and, and get the help. And I think if Lauren didn't know me and didn't know Jesse's story, I don't know that she would have gone to the hospital. But she went and she, she was very grateful. She said, thank you for pushing me. I was in severe, I was severely dehydrated and I was definitely in DKA. Now, had she gone, kept going at home, I I don't know what would have happened to Lauren. And so I, when I, when I hear that, you know, that lets me sleep at night that I helped Lauren, that I know that Lauren went to a hospital simply because she knew Jesse's story. And I'm sure there's other parents all over the world that I don't even know who knows Jesse's story and, and probably had a similar story. Situation. And you and I have never spoken before this, and we don't we don't know each other, and yet you come into my mind frequently. Yeah, yeah, and so, um, and it's always wrapped around this issue. And and I, I don't want to. It's funny we always talk about this community online, but and I I wonder if people realize when they're in it. I'm kind of going backwards, but when they're in it, that they're not that they're likely not going to be in it forever. And so as a person who has had a blog for 10 years, and I'm sure that you have a similar idea, the names and the avatars, they come and they go and they come and they go. And people get in there and they, they either get the information they need or they stay till they're comfortable or whatever it ends up being. But in the moment that they're there, they believe that this is the world, that, that it's always been like this and it'll always be like this. And they've just added themselves to it. And what I know as an outsider looking from you know back a little bit that in six months, they'll stop coming around. They'll understand insulin. They'll, 
not be scared anymore. They'll get the answers they need, the comfort they need, whatever it ends up being, and they'll go back to living their lives. I always feel good when I see people disappear. You know, when I see them leave, I always imagine that they just have everything they need and they just wanted to go back to their life. And and at the same time, when you see somebody who is just so fervently just arguing or trying to make points or what did this person do, like that whole thing, I think they're missing the point of it. They, there's this there's this comfort there. There are some people who have been there for so long they could come really help like you did with Lauren. And and I just wonder if sometimes it's not lost on them that they're not the driving force of what's happening, that the the entity is the driving force of it. I don't know if that right. makes any sense or even yeah. why I got off on that tangent, to be perfectly <laughs> honest with you. But it just always it always strikes me. When someone's ranting and raving or, or, or coming out, like they're just like, I know what to do. And I'm like, yeah, I feel like you've been here for three weeks, but go ahead, tell everyone what to do. And, you know, and then, and then they, <laughs> and they, and they get going. And then, and then I always look at the threads and I think, oh my gosh, this person asked a simple question. There is a simple answer to it. You can agree or disagree that I know what that answer is. And then six people come in and say six different things. And I always try to picture the person like that and going, I asked a question, six people answered six different ways. I don't know what to do now. Like, who do I randomly pick? Do I just take the person whose avatar yeah. looks the most pleasing to me and, and decide <laughs> to believe them? Like, how does it end up working? But to know that there's someone like you who you can trust what's coming from them is huge. And I think that those auras are the community, even though the people who are maybe the loudest in it or the most um, active, maybe they may never know that, you know, but... But so it's a it's a really huge thing you're doing, and I, I think I'm thanking you in a very long convolute. Oh, no, thank. <laughs> well, the, the the DOC, you know, the whole online community, it's such a resource. And in the same breath, when I meet a newly diagnosed family, I say, just be so careful yeah. on the DOC because there are the shamers. Uh, the shamers being the ones that say, "Oh, my child's never been above 170." I'm calling BS on that. Sure. Okay, because we've all been there. And, you know, you're not magic. You're not a unicorn. Um, you know, there's the shamers and then there's people that know everything or, you know, they're, they're, I think some of the DOC has gotten a little bit, um, dare I say, out of control. Again, I'm probably going to get my throat cut for that. But um, there are some, I mean, I, I've been blocked from a major one that I never have once made a comment on. Never once. <laughs> they just decided you were out, huh? They just, I, I got, I got shunned based on somebody else I knew. And I'm like, why did I get shunned from that? But turns out I don't really care, but you know what I mean? It's just, it's like, it's a, it's a drama filled, you know, DOC situation and I don't need to be there, but like, I, I warn people, it's like, just be careful of the information you're seeking and where you're seeking it. Listen, I'll be, and, I'll be completely honest. If you asked me, my honest answer would be, there's good information, there's bad information, and there are crazy people. You have to figure out what those three things are. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And so Absolutely. it just it just I maybe can stay out of it a little more. I know this is gonna sound completely backwards, like I'm in nineteen eighty two or that I, you know, voted for Donald Trump or something, but um but I think because I'm a guy, <laughs> I don't get it as hard. I you know, I think there's something to that. I think that I'm not one of the moms that it just doesn't it doesn't hit me as hard. But I still get it. You know, for Every, this will sound like humble bragging, but you know, for every 10 emails that are like, Hey, I listened to your podcast and my kids A1C is down two points. Thank you very much. I didn't understand how to do this, or I never thought about this before. You know, every once in a while you hear from somebody's like, you're a pompous jerk and you think you know everything. And I'm like, I don't think I know anything. I'm trying to tell you what works for me. Do whatever you want with that. You, you, you know? And so, and at the same time, I've had someone yell and rant and rave at me because I, you know, I let my daughter eat whatever she wants to within a certain degree. Oh, yeah. We deal with it with instant. So I get hammered for that. And, and, and I just have taken a very interesting tactic where I don't care. And so I just really, I, I pay no mind to it. And I do sometimes, I do sometimes thank the fact that a number of years ago, I wrote a parenting book and I got these reviews and the reviews were mostly very glowing. And then some of them were not, and then, <laughs> and then I just realized it was like someone read this book and loved it and someone read this book and hated it. I'm not in control of that. You, you, yeah. you know, like I can't possibly be in control of that. And I think of this the same way. My information's not dangerous. I always 
preface what I'm going to say. We'll say it right now. Nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making changes to your medical plan. There. I'm not telling you yeah. what to do. And so you do whatever you want. And at the same time, please don't yell at me because I don't like that. But I am just going to delete it if you yell at me. So. Well, you know, you, you make an interesting point. And like, um, you know, like I said, Beyond Type 1 has given me a, a really good voice. And like I said, I appreciate them. And I did an article about etiquette when you hear in the DOC that someone has passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you handle yourself? And like one of the biggest things I say is don't make this about you. And, you know, don't don't reach out to that parent because I understand the empathy. I understand oh my gosh, I too have a child with type 1 diabetes. You're living my worst nightmare. Right. Yeah, we, we know we're living your worst nightmare. <laughs> you telling me that you still have a child that is breathing isn't helping me. You're helping yourself. You're making yourself feel better. You're not making me feel any better. So just, I just say, stop yourself. Don't post on their you know, funeral page. Don't, you know, gosh, my child has diabetes, you know, and you know, I can that's commiserate that's with this, yeah, because you can't. Yeah, he, he, you dr- can't. Draw a, draw a strong line to your point with this. Almost every wedding toast or someone who stands up at a funeral, who these people try to, to speak about the, 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 the departed or they try <laughs> to speak about the people getting married, but if you really listen to what they're saying, they're telling stories about themselves. Even when people don't mean to do it, it's hard for them not to relate things back to themselves. It really is a very human trait. You, you, you know, like I, boy, I can't say who, but I remember sitting at a wedding listening and I was like, is this person ever going to mention the bride and groom or no, I don't <laughs> think, I don't think they're going to. No, no, no. This is all about them. They, but they thought, they thought they were talking about the bride and groom. It was fascinating. Yeah. You, I, you know, I really do believe the majority of people, they do, they absolutely mean well. Oh, sure. And, and I know that. And, you know, like I always tell people too, it's like, if you don't know what to say, just say, I don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. If that's okay, that's saying something. Don't say just anything. Say, <laughs> yeah, or, or don't say anything. It, it, it's okay. Um, but it's, it's amazing to me, like in an article about etiquette and explaining, don't, and I write, don't, don't ask the person what happened. If they want to share, they're going to share. I say that mm-hmm. in, in my article. And I will kid you not, in the thread that follows on Beyond Type 1, I was completely attacked by people saying, she's not telling us what's happened. She, we, we have a right to know. We have a right. She's hiding something. I'm like, by God, did, you did not read my article. Because my article says, don't ask me. I'm telling you not to ask me. And you're, you're telling me I have to tell you. No, I don't. I don't have to tell you. And you know what? There are people who have asked me. And I, of course, tell them, you know, detailed information. And it, it just, it's, it's a right moment or a wrong moment. And I get to choose when that is. And or who it is, or, you know, it's like simple things, tangent wise, it's like, you know, you're shopping at Target. And um, someone asked me, you know, because they're looking at the groceries I have on the cart or whatever, like, oh, how many kids do you have? I don't get into details, because I'm not going to forage a friendship with the cashier, right? So I'll <laughs> say, think? four kids. Right. I have four kids. I don't need to elaborate. Now, if it's someone I value in my life, I'm going to say, uh, I have four children. Unfortunately, my son, Jesse, actually passed away when he was 13 because I, I know I'm going to have a relationship with that person and it's worth me telling and going through pain where, and actually putting that person through pain, right? Because the target cashier really probably doesn't want to know that. And <laughs> right? wasn't trying to make you feel badly and now they think they did and, <laughs> and they probably didn't. Yeah. And so here's what we've learned, I think. Michelle, shut up is the, is the, it's the right thing to do. It's everyone shut up. Don't, don't, you don't have any thoughts. You, you haven't perfectly crafted your comment to be the exact right comment. Uh, you know, you don't have a story that's so close to someone else's that they're going to be happy to hear it. That this person is going through such a multifaceted thing on an emotional level that you'll never understand. Just don't, just don't, you, you know, like there's nothing you can do. Uh, you know, Make a donation to a diabetes charity in the kid's name, but then don't go out in the world and tell anybody. Do it for yourself. Don't do it for someone else or so that someone else knows what a great person you are or so that you can feel better about it or feel comfortable. It's not about you. Somebody had a horrible tragedy. Leave them alone. Am I close? Is it is that close or have I gone too far, Michelle? Have, oh. you, have you hung up? I mean, <laughs> You're like, you know what? That yeah. was too hard line for me. Yeah. Oh, I mean – like I said, um, this 
you know, this book by, I believe her name is Amanda Miller. And I, I literally just shared it was, I mean, it was so poignant and, and just explaining like what, what we're feeling, how we're feeling it. And the best thing you can do is just be supportive. You can be supportive and loving without understanding. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. No, it does. It's like, I don't want you to ever go into your brain and try to imagine what it feels like not to have your child. No one should feel that pain. I don't wish that upon my worst enemy because I know what it feels like. I want everyone to stay in their bubble, their happy bubble, really, honestly, for as long as they humanly can, because it's a, it's a really nice place. You don't really realize how nice it is until you're on the other side of it. Right. And it's not just with the death of a loved one or a child, by the way, too. You will eventually get out of that bubble. Like, I remember being a young person in my 20s who was just married. I was like, this is all perfect until the first time that like my hot water heater broke. And I was like, life's not as perfect as I thought it was. And then I fought with my wife one time. I was like, oh my gosh, how did that happen? And then, you know, like, like you just your bubble continues to degradate. It, it breaks down yeah. over time until, and I hate to sound like, you know, but till the, till the actuality of the real world hits you from all sides, like you can only insulate yourself for so long, hold on to this part of it for absolutely as long as you can. Like, like, don't let this part go. You can assume that the election might have been rigged by Russians. You can uh, think that your neighbor probably is a bad guy who is dumping bleach in your bush because he doesn't like the way it's blocking his driveway. That All that stuff is probably happening. It's okay to know that. But try to stay, try to stay blissfully ignorant about this, right? Just, it's always going to be great. Everything's going to be great. I love my kids. I love my life. I love everything. And this is all always going to be like this. Because one day when yeah. it's not, yeah. No, you never know when the bus is going to hit you. Right. You don't know. And, that, and that's always my advice to people. I say, please, just go let your type one live their life because you don't know when anybody's bus is going to hit. So just go live. That's the best advice I can give to anybody. And that's, that's why I keep doing what I do at Riding on Insulin and, and watching all these kids and, and the adults. I mean, you know, I have, you know, 100 endurance athletes all over the U.S. and Canada that race. Um, you know, with type one diabetes and like, I see them living life and mentoring and speaking and, you know, telling people to live their best life. I mean, that's, that's how to live it. Yeah. But do you, do you remember the egg crack challenge? Um, yeah. okay. So the, <laughs> the boy that that was for who I can't believe, but his name is, it's just it's slipping my mind at the moment. Well, I interviewed the, his, I interviewed the his parents. Lindo. Oh mm-hmm. yes. Thank you. I interviewed, Hover. I interviewed, um, Mrs. Hover, uh, yeah. year, a year ago. And in the course of that that conversation, the one thing that stuck with me, it sticks with me every day, I might think about her constantly, oh. is, is that she said that no matter what the outcome with her son was, even though he passed away, she would not have changed anything about how he lived his life. And she just yeah. talked about how happy he was and how great he was you know, doing at college and he was the captain of his lacrosse team at school and that he was a happy, fulfilled person and that she thought... If she restricted that because of diabetes and he got an extra day, she just didn't think that that those days would have been valuable as valuable as him just living his life. And man, I really do think about that all the time because it is easy. It is very easy to wax poetic about this. Like live your life. The bus might hit you like all that stuff. And I believe it, but to really do it, that's like, that's top level brass balls. Like she's, she believes that now today as much as she did then, and I, I give her a ton of credit, and I, I think you fall right in that same category. So um, I just think it's it's just a wonderful message for people. You really do just need to live for today and be happy, not worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. You, you kind of can't, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. she's a friend of mine, and she is part of our group. She found us. Um, she's, a, she's an amazing lady, so she still has a big, loud voice out there. So. Just, just to stick to your guns after that, to not one time go, you know what, okay. Maybe I would have changed, like to not do that is such a respectful <laughs> position for her son. You know what I mean? Like, and for her family and her life and, and their decisions and all those other things. I, I'm always, there's a couple of people I think about a lot when I look at my daughter, because it is not, it is not a, a stretch to be going along, living your life just as easy as could be getting great blood sugars for weeks on end. Hey, my A1C is 5.8. I'm kicking this right in the butt. I should start taking care of other people's kids. I'm so good at this. Blah, blah, blah. Like really starting to feel it, you know? And you could be going along as well as that. And still sometimes I walk into my daughter's room at night to, you know, look at her CGM, test her blood sugar, turn off the fan, whatever it is I'm going to do. And every once in a while I do look at her and I think, my God, is she going to make it the whole way? Like maybe not, right? You know? But I never think that of my son. 
But he stands on a baseball field with someone throwing a ball 100 miles an hour. And I never think, I wonder if that ball hit him in the head and kill him. Like, I never think that. You, you know, and in the end, exactly. both are fairly likely. You know? So isn't it weird how being attached to the disease then suddenly makes you feel like, oh, this is something I need to be focused on more. Uh, Michelle, let me tell you a secret. I don't drive the speed limit, um, you, you know, and, and it's Ooh. funny. And it's funny. I never think I'm about to slaughter my whole family. It never occurs to me, you, you know, right. n- never once. And so you can get yourself in the right mindset. And I think you proved earlier by what you were talking about that there is no mindset that you can't become happy with if you, if you work at it hard enough and have the right support, honestly. I get asked, I get asked all the time, you know, why do I choose to continue in diabetes? Like, how do I do that? How do I, how do I put myself around the disease every day? Mm -hmm. And I, you know, that's my way of grieving. That's healing and coping. Like first it was coping and then it became healing to be around others that I get to still accept that as part of my life. And I I don't know any different. Like I want to help other kids. I want to make sure another family doesn't go through what I go through. And, um, the, the, the piece that, and people who've heard me speak have, have seen this, because um, I use it as a PowerPoint slide, is um, about three weeks after Jesse died, I was feeling very, very sorry for myself and sitting at my dining room table crying, like, what am I going to do with my life? And, you know, this is horrifying and, you know, everything, every thought you can think of. And I got my mail and one of his teachers um, sent me his last writing assignment. And she's like, Oh, I, you know, and it was a very kind of like, Oh, by the way, I thought you might want this. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, you have no idea what this piece of paper means to me. And it was a, it was his last um, essay that he had to type or write up. Um, It's handwritten actually. And he could write about any topic he wanted. And the topic was my mom is courageous. And the entire, the entire thing just in detail, this is a kid who said, mom, stop talking about diabetes. He would say it all the time, but in writing, he put, I'm so proud of my mom. She does the JDRF bike ride every year. And if that wasn't enough, she became a director of JDRF. And if that wasn't enough, she decided to do an Ironman for me. And I got to cross the finish line with her and she did a documentary and he just keeps going. And he said, I just am so proud that my mom has always put me and my diabetes first. So for me, it was just like, well, there you go. Jesse has told me what I'm going to do with my life. And that's why I do what I do. Yeah, it meant so much to him that you were on his side like that. And now you're yeah. just on everybody's side. I, you know, I, I was going to make a comparison and now it just seems small. So I'm not going to, but uh, <laughs> I'm just going to let it go. Um, but I, I think that a lot of people who stay in the community and work really hard like this, uh, I think they feel very similarly. I, I think that it's just. It, you just you said it before like how do you this is what you know how do you stop doing it right how do you i i some days feel like I, sometimes you see online someone who's struggling with something then you're like wow it's such a simple fix i wish i wasn't running out the door right now i would just send them a message and say you know if you call me right now in 15 minutes i can explain this to you you, you know like i don't want you to struggle mm-hmm. like this anymore like i don't want your kid to feel like that i don't i don't want to live knowing that somewhere you are broken down in your house because you can't figure out this simple thing that I know the answer to. And, and at the same time, I can't spend my entire life talking to people about things like this, but you found a way to dedicate a ton of your life to it. I'm trying to do it with a podcast. You're doing it with your work and, and there are a lot of people doing it in a lot of different ways. And, and I think that's the core of what the community is. And it's obviously driven by stories like yours with Jesse's letter and, and just tons of other people who have had, impactful moments in their lives that have, that have drawn them to want to help somebody else. Um, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're, everything you said is beautiful here. Thank you. I appreciate you doing this. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. No, 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 no. This is enough. This was, uh, you, know, well, you have to thank me now. Stop it. Um, <laughs> so uh, let me, let me, we have to do something pleasant and upbeat for a second. Hold on. Um, would you share your favorite happy memory of Jesse with me? Oh my gosh. Favorite happy memory. Do you have one that you go to? Well, um, I don't know if you've ever seen, um, have you ever seen like a little green Jesse was here? I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I use it a lot in my photos. So summer of 2009, um, right before he passed, we all, we went on a family camping trip, all the kids, and we were 
we were, um, I don't even know how to explain it. It's Wisconsin, right? So you're up north, <laughs> kind of hick. I don't know how to explain it. So the camping spot had a, it was a makeshift shed that they kind of turned into a bar. So we're all inside because it's Wisconsin. You can bring your kids into bars. Yep. I shamelessly just told you that. <laughs> My brother lives and, in Wisconsin. Drinking beer oh, is really? like the state sport, I think, isn't it? If not for the Packers, it yeah. would be like a legal thing. And so yeah. go, go. I'm sorry. So why not bring your kid to a bar? I live in Wisconsin. I understand. Go ahead. <laughs> So, so we're there and the, the walls are this dark green and the, the people that own the place give you these gold markers and you can write all over. So there's writing on every single wall. And so I write on the wall, my daughter writes on the wall. Um, and then, and then there's, uh, at the time it was uh, 12 year old Jesse and he simply writes, Jesse was here on the wall. And why did I take pictures of him writing that? I have no idea, but it was this fun moment. And he wrote, Jesse was here. And so he passes away. And this is kind of a crazy story because it goes beyond just a favorite memory of Jesse, but that clearly was a favorite. And there's some reason why I took a picture, I, you know, and I'm sitting with my brother and I said, oh my God, they're going to, they're going to paint over that someday. Like every year, that's what they do. They just paint over start again. and start over. And the new people that come to this campground write their new memories and thoughts. So I said to my brother, I need you to go up there and use part of the memorial fund to cut that out and we'll redo it and we'll whatever it takes. But I need to own that real estate, that piece of the wall. Mm-hmm. And he goes up there and it's, it's uh, foreclosed. Bank foreclosed on it. So it's locked up. I'm not going to say how I got it, but that piece of real estate is in my living room. And it is something that every year on the anniversary of his death, which is February 3rd, um, so the number 23, I don't know if you've seen that, but 23 has become his number and it's used all over the the world um, because of February 3rd. And people changed their profile picture to that, that Jesse was here. And it's become kind of a movement. And, you know, JDRF is even, you know, mile 23 of every JDRF bike ride is a mile of silence in his honor. Um, Artists have changed drawings um, and put 23 in it. And I own actually the 23rd print of something that they did in honor of Jesse. So um, I guess happiest memory is that I'm so glad that I have that piece of him that he wrote and um, that people are inspired by that. But and he was a goofy, funny, funny damn kid. Um, like he, he was very contagious in his his mannerisms and his way of um, feeling. Like you know, he'd have to walk through like a, a really crappy part of um, this our, our city to get to school. Um, like we, our sub our subdivision kind of was in kind of a, a lower income area, and all the kids loved him. Like every kid would talk to him, and he'd talk about ah. Oh, you know, if that kid wants to beat me up, I just say, hey, I bought some Cheetos. Want some Cheetos? <laughs> like, you know, he just had this way about him. And, um, you know, there's still a plaque that hangs at his his middle school about him and inspires others. And um, I'm just proud of who he was. I wouldn't give up one single day of those 13 years that I had with him. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. That's spectacular and even as i asked the question i was like what a dumb question why would i say that and then you answered and i was like wow that worked out okay um (laughs) oh my gosh well i'm just you know we're up on an hour i don't want to keep you any longer but i I just genuinely appreciate that you came on and that no thank you for having me on no you're very welcome is there anything that you want people to know i mean is there a facebook group something that if you know the, the 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 thing i guess is if people are still listening to what i had to say would be <laughs> if if you if, if if you know of a family who who loses to type one and, and you know them you know the right thing to do is connect them you know like with a group like mine because man i would have done anything to have my group when jesse passed i i needed to know there were other people who stood in my shoes and and understood don't try to fix them. Um, you know, I see some DO, the DOC, like try to manage those people and we're here for you. And yeah, you're there for them, but like, don't make it about yourself and just pass them on to this group. Like it's not even my group. I don't even, it's not even my group. It's, it's, it's everybody's group. that's a parent who's lost and, and, um, you know, connect them with me. I'm happy to, it, you know, on Facebook, it's called families of type one losses. 
And, um, you know, it's only for the parents. So if I get a request from someone who's just wanting to see what we're talking about, they don't get added. Um, it's, it's definitely a place for the parents to grieve and have privacy and, um, and feel the hurt maybe a little bit. Yeah, and you, people who have a, a very special uh, set of tools that they can help you with, and, and they're, yeah. they're not tools you have. So let them get to that. Families of type 1 loss? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I hope you have a, a happy holiday, Merry Christmas, and uh, your new year is fantastic. Have a great day, Scott. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you to Michelle for coming on the show today and talking about her life with type 1 diabetes and uh, reminding us all. Well, whatever it reminded you of. Thanks again to Omnipod for sponsoring this episode of the Juicebox podcast. You can go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox to get a free no obligation demo pod today. Jesse was here.